Anybody else catch the really bad advice in there? And how am I only just catching that now? Okay, I'm having a little bit of trouble here. Eject into space without a flippin' spacesuit. (laughs) Over the Death Star, which is gonna blow up in about 10 minutes. Mike, I but what if it's like space from Jimmy Neutron and there's a good reason why everyone can breathe in space? What if it's like space from uh, Treasure Planet? The Ethereum. <laughs> well, if that were true, there would be open cockpit spacecraft in Star Wars. <laughs> now, what oh, that? You can <laughs> breathe the cockpit. air on this planet and we still close the cockpit on a plane. I mean, true, but you still have a like the early ones, like a Fokker DR1, Fokker D7. Why am I only yeah, just but... mentioning German aircraft? They, they've been Fok- in space for like 25,000 years. I think they advanced beyond the Red Baron. Well, if you're going to mention, you're, if you're going to mention Falkers, you got to mention the best version of that uh, particular plane. <laughs> you, know, you know what that is, right? Uh, I was, I assume you mean the British pilot. Falkers, these nuts! I thought you were going to pull up the British pilot, which I'll probably bring up in the after show. But in any case, welcome one and all on YouTube and in podcast land. You are listening to the Tangent Kings. I love it. Welcome back once again to the Tangent Kings podcast. I am, of course, your humble servant, G. Michael Francis, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Mr. J.J. Banks. How are you doing today, sir? Quite well, sir. How are you? You might want to put that out before you light something on fire. Yes, like my dignity. (laughs) (laughs) That burned out years ago. No That's argument there. Um, <laughs> you lose all sense of dignity when you do showbiz. <laughs> yeah, listen, people, I'm in showbiz. My uh, my soul took the red eye out of here years ago. Huge. It, it's the biggest show since Richard Nixon. And it got to say Richard Nixon was kind of a big deal, believe me. What anyway. do we got on today for Mike? I think we have a guest, don't we? We do. We have... A man going by the name of Rico Velasquez. How are you doing today, sir? Oh, I'm good. I'm good there. Actually, you know, uh, the, the last name's not Velasquez, a common misconception. It's McNamara, but uh, a lot of people don't know about the famous Venezuelan Irish. <laughs> I didn't even know about the Venezuelan Irish, and I'm Irish. Well, I think <laughs> I made the them guy up with a now. Polish background. Uh, <laughs> Polish. Literally, the Our Lady of, uh, not Our Lady. The Black Madonna of Chesahova. Gesundheit. Yeah, try saying that five times fast. I won't. No, but yeah, we we figured, well, we annoyed the YouTube overlords with our uh, COVID video, which we're not going to disclose any details of. So we decided to really kick the hornet's nest. We're going to put banks in Taiwan, and we're going to discuss 
something you'd rather do to, char- uh, to China. So, Mr. Rico, fill us in on what we're talking about because my brain is going about well, five million miles an hour. Yeah, well, why don't I? I'll inter- I'll give you guys a little for our listeners at home, uh, which is everybody. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of context. So uh, a couple of days ago, I was talking to my friend from college, Mr. Rico, and I said, why don't you come on the show and tell us a little bit about, because um, he's sort of a connoisseur on the geopolitical stuff in East Asia. So I thought, why don't you tell us kind of what's going on and fill us in and give us, us uh, those of us who are unfamiliar with some of the actions that uh, the CCP or more specifically China as a whole is taking right now to kind of assert its dominance and sort of change up the uh, power structure in the particular region. And uh, before we do get into that, I just want to state our official position on the People's Republic of China. Donald Trump don't trust China. China is asshole. <laughs> we don't trust china excellent hey. all right so mr rico you have the floor so why don't you uh clue us in and let us know what you think all right well um you know i i have been reading kind of just as i saw articles for the last year and a half about uh developments in china uh obviously it's a very large nation um mm-hmm. something like four times as many people as we have so and uh we all remember growing up in uh, 2K, the 20 teens, hearing that China is on the rise. And, uh, you know, no longer that uh, kind of uh, country out there that's ruled by the crazy man, <laughs> but a real contender. So, Still ruled I, by a crazy man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm afraid he might oh, be a very them. sane man. <laughs> a, a very what? I'm sorry? A very sane man uh, who who has a clear idea of uh, how he should maneuver his country to uh, attain and keep power in the future. Okay, so he's manipulative, uh, so was Stalin. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, the idea for this specific like research project started because I was reading about Chinese uh, aircraft carrier developments in the news the other day. Uh, I believe it was in... Uh, a naval enthusiast website, and they were talking about the new Type 003 aircraft carrier that's being built uh, in China. And so for this video, largely I'm going through information that is um, in the Congressional Research Service's March 9th, 2021 report on China naval modernization, implications for U.S. Navy capabilities, background, and issues for Congress. Uh, The link will be in the video. I sent that to you guys. So this this was a really good uh, source, actually. It's 67 pages long, and it essentially is an overview of most of the stuff that I have been seeing in uh, just like news sources, like uh, like naval enthusiast websites, uh, Washington Post, New York Post. Uh, no, I don't read the Washington Post. They have a paywall. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking of CNN. You know, I was just thinking of uh, mainstream news sources that don't have paywalls, but basically all of them, you can see a lot of these kinds of reports coming out. So uh, the conclusion that this report gives is that China has dramatically expanded their naval capabilities since the mid-1990s when they began their modernization program, and their fleet is now significantly larger than the U.S.'s fleet. 
and their newer models are believed to be on par in terms of capabilities with us. And the long-term implications of that are that uh, China will have a... Uh, they, they call this the, um, in the report, an anti-access area denial force or the A2AD force. And that's the primary goal it's believed of China's naval development is to have this force essentially as a screen around the Chinese mainland and its outlying islands to prevent the U.S. Navy from operating there and to secure their waters against uh, threat of force from us and the capability of the U.S. to intervene. Uh, especially, it's believed the primary concern or goal in the next few decades is to prevent the United States from intervening in any kind of action taken against Taiwan, which, uh, as your viewers probably know, China does not recognize Taiwan as a separate nation and neither does the United Nations or most nations. So why is that? Why is that? Because <coughs> uh, uh, didn't you China hear that guy? China, money. China is at home. Uh. <laughs> it's because uh, nobody wants to threaten their business interests in China. So nobody wants to recognize Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, with plenty of labor, uh, cheap, cheap labor. Yeah. Well, why? Why wouldn't you go for the bigger numbers? Yeah, and I believe also, um, so if, you, if you're familiar at all with the history of Taiwan, uh, it was formed as like the last bastion of the nationalists. Uh, the Kuomintang, the yeah. Yeah, the Kuomintang. Uh, Chiang Which is so fun to say. There, isn't it? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, interesting factoid. Uh, do you know um, what Chiang Kai-shek's, uh, Chiang Kai-shek's religious preference was? No, I don't. Who's, it was a Methodist. Chiang Who's Chiang, Chiang Kai-shek? For he those of you who don't know, the nationalists. He was the uh, he's the successor of Sun Yat-sen. So Sun Yat-sen successfully led the uh, revolution against the imperial government in yeah the Qing I believe, Dynasty 1912, in 1911, so, 1911. So in the interest of I don't want to lose our our listeners, obviously. So if they're totally like if they don't know anything about the history of China and Taiwan, uh, could we get a little uh, brief synopsis of yeah yeah. I'll, uh, I'll go over that pretty quick, if you don't mind. So, uh, what you need to know about China is uh, their culture has existed continuously in some form for thousands of years. So, that kind of historical legitimacy gives them a strong sense of their place in history and their rightful place as a nation. And when the Western powers showed up and were essentially able to vassalized much of imperial china in the 19th century uh they called that their century of shame and uh just between the opium wars and instability in, in the imperial government uh there were a lot of civil wars in china in the 19th century and so all this conflict and the western interventions in china created a crisis of confidence in the old imperial government and so there was a civil war and the leader of the Republican movement was named Sun Yat-sen, and he successfully overthrew the Qin dynasty and created the Republic of China. So, Which is the official name of Taiwan today. Mm-hmm, yeah. But so, I think I jumped the gun a little here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> only by a few decades. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Republic of China uh, was like the legitimate government of China for a few decades. 
but it was still unstable and not very prosperous. And then during World War uh, II, the Japanese began their invasion in 1933 and conquered large swaths of China. And uh, even during the war against Japan, uh, there was an emerging communist movement before the Japanese invasion. But the resistance to Japan was essentially split between the uh, communists under Mao Zedong and the nationalists under uh, Chiang Kai-shek, who was the successor to Sun Yat-sen. So he was the second president of China, I believe. And uh, Chiang Kai-shek was the recognized leader of China by the allies. But uh, the communists were playing the war dirty and they were participating, but letting the nationalists do the bulk of the work. And so when the Japanese left, the nationalists were very depleted. And uh, if I recall, the U.S. was not willing to intervene in the Civil War in support of the nationalists. So the communists, having saved more of their strength over the war, were able to uh, successfully take most of China. And the nationalists under Chiang Kai-shek fell back to the island of Taiwan, which had until that point been a Japanese colony. So... Um, Taiwan has a very, I guess, a unique cultural history in that there are indigenous Austronesian peoples who are like kind of like the native tribes. And then there's um, ethnic uh, Chinese populations. I'm not sure if they're like Han or from southern China, because I believe that is a difference, Han and the southern Chinese. But uh, workers who came over when it was Portuguese and Qin territory to develop the island. And then when the Japanese colonized it in the 19th century, lots of Japanese people came in. And then all of the nationalists fled to Taiwan after the Civil War. So mm -hmm. uh, to protect Taiwan, which was claiming to be, uh, which calls itself the Republic of China still, and claims itself as the legitimate successor to the Republic of China. Uh, well, not successor, because they say the Republic never stopped existing. It's just uh, capital in Taipei now, rather than Beijing. So, which is the background? Which is the background behind me? Yeah, Taipei One. Mm -hmm. So, the uh, U.S. Navy under the Eisenhower administration started patrolling the Straits of Taiwan to uh, make sure that the communists didn't invade. And <clears throat> during that period, we did not recognize the People's Republic of China, and the Republic of China, which had its capital in Taipei now still held a seat on the United Nations Security Council. And it was when Nixon went to thaw relations with China to draw them out of the Soviet sphere of influence. That was one of the conditions uh, of China opening up. <laughs> yeah, hasn't it? Uh, do, do you, mind yeah, if I you, you know something backfires when you have an authoritarian regime dependent almost entirely on slave labor and they have a seat on the Human Rights Council of the United Nations. As does uh, Cuba and Venezuela. And Cuba, Venezuela, yeah. Saudi Arabia. One, um, one thing I'll interject there, too, because uh, we're kind of in the 60s now for uh, the timeline with Taiwan. Um, what's not known commonly, just interject this little fact, was that China and Russia were actually on the verge of going to war. Yeah, because, um, you know, Mao Khrushchev. was a Stalinist and Khrushchev wanted to de-Stalinize, which really caused the uh, fracturing between China and Russia. And, yeah, which is correct, and Mao was a petulant man, and he was extremely petty. Like, 
to say the least. More could be said, but I'll leave it at that. And they were actually conducted a, a few small border skirmishes, and that was about the extent of the conflict, to my knowledge. Um, so, it, and then suddenly Mao, during this time, said, just on a whim, said, I want to court favor with the United States and let's have Nixon over. So then Nixon went over there and they um, attempted to improve relations which didn't sound like it went very well. So China has been, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rico, that China has been attempting since, you know, since the People's Republic has been around, since they've had the military capability, they've tried to attack Taiwan a few times. They actually had some artillery pieces that I believe is the 60s, I want to say, were just taking pot shots at the island because they could. And then each time the United States has come around and protected and propped up uh, Taiwan, yeah, um, because it's, it's not terribly uh, yeah, far and from what it's China. What's essentially a fifty-year hissy fit. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I have definitely read about that. That uh, it's the uh, near side of Taiwan has a living memory of its residents being hit with artillery strikes. Yeah. I think actually, uh, no, no, I'm getting mixed up with North and South Korea. Uh, yeah, which was kind of a catalyst to. You know, that was that factored into it as well, the Korean War. But we don't have to go into that conflict specifically, but the United States has been involved in the region before for, you know, for several decades now, which kind of starts to bring us to now when China is very rapidly industrializing to the capacity that they are now just about on par with the United States um, in economic, how, how, Rico, how close does China, um, match the united states in terms of its economic and military presence right now oh uh, shoot let me look that up i have not looked at that recently well, i do know they're i think they do have take us i think their military does have more bodies mm -hmm. but you also consider that the pla is one not actually loyal to the nation of the people's republic of china it's loyal directly to the communist party of china right which well, is, I mean, in, in the eyes of the Chinese government, that is one and the same. They're a, a one-party well, yes. state where... Yeah. They, there's yeah no similar to the Red Army of, you know, the... Yeah. I, I just like saying it in Russian for whatever reason. It's so much more fun to say. The Communist Party SSSR. That's cool. So, uh, uh, Banks and Mike, as of 2019, the World Bank estimated U.S. GDP to be 21 trillion and Chinese GDP to be 14 trillion. So, okay, um, close, but if that, they don't that's really easy burn, to. It, well, yeah, when you're paying your workers like little to nothing in the name of the glorifying the state. Well, it's it's slave labor, effectively. Um, yeah. This is the little article that this just popped into mind, and obviously, Rico will have you finish the rest of your topic, obviously. But uh, there's uh, China's. Uh, I would say it's it's this well-known policy of its Belt and Road Initiative, yep. which is a massive infrastructure project across China. And it's spectacular in terms of what it's built, but what's not common knowledge is that it's been largely built by slave labor um, and, uh, you know, forced labor just in general. So well, we what people we don't realize, this, too. We marvel, is... at these inter we marvel at these interstates that they built, but it's like this is unethically built, but that's not talked about. Yeah. Uh, I think people need to know also the Belt and Road Initiative is not just in China, but it's essentially to make an economic sphere. Um, there's actually some really great resources out there I can recommend. Um, do you ever watch the YouTube channel What If Alt Hist? 
Uh, I don't believe so. Why don't you tell I, me? I've seen it a few is. times, you know, like, you know, for example, I've seen the one where, you know, what if the Russian Empire was still standing today? Oh, yeah. Then, yeah, I've heard of them, yeah. He's done a lot of branching um, into just actual political and economic theory because he started reading about those that stuff to uh, research his videos. So let me grab some links here and I can put them in the chat. Um, sure. Because there's this one. Um, it's 30 minutes long. It's called Is China the Next World Power? And in this, he is... Oh, hang on. And then we'll be sure to post it for our uh, our Spotify listeners. I will be sure to post these links as well. Yeah. Uh, and, he's and in our going YouTube over comments. some of the challenges Correct. they're facing because although uh, we should be very concerned about the rise of China, they also have a lot of internal challenges that they need to face like uh their one child policy has created a demographic like a uh, time bomb that is around the corner for them yeah and I, I think it's actually been up to a three child policy now as of 2020 yeah. oh yeah no i i read this one book um it was what to expect when nobody's expecting to expect i believe let me look up the author yeah try saying that five times fast on <laughs> irish whiskey yeah uh, because I recall that China, while you looked it up, Rico, I recall China was saying that they're suddenly in support of the nuclear family, which is an interesting about face for the for the government. Um, but what's interesting, because I was going to play John Stossel here and then be devil's advocate. Why, why is it bad that China is all of a sudden arming itself so rapidly? Like, what's so bad about it being a strong nation? Why is it so bad that it's suddenly the dominant power i mean has been the dominant power but what's so what's the danger here isn't it good that china be a independent nation free from foreign um pressures well um i would say that is an unrealistic vision there are very few nations that are large and powerful that want to just keep to themselves if you look at uh even our history and our uh, so-called isolationist phase we were frequently interfering in the caribbean nations and in mexico yeah. and uh it's not yeah, in isolationism the nature of any that large, powerful like country to remain folks? isolated sorry sorry I, was... I, I think definitely it seems like there's less sentiment towards maintaining our role in the uh like global military system i mean especially like when you see our generation we want more socialistic policies uh <laughs> We yeah. cannot maintain an ultra-powerful military plus um, an expansive social welfare net at the same time, which means we'll have to I mean, tell our friends over in Europe to start paying their share, which, uh, as you remember, that caused a lot of consternation when the last administration did just that. But There's this attitude that with the government or in a lot i would say i would even go so far to say as the average person's mind as far as government and business is concerned where people think oh you seem you're powerful you have unlimited resources right money this money supply is infinite there is no end to it why should we we just need to raise the income tax to 500 percent and we could cover all of the g6 defense budget in theory, yeah, there's there's that there's that attitude. Um, t as a 
very, very brief aside, Thomas Sowell mentioned that in his book, The Conflict Divisions, which I highly recommend, where there is this attitude that you think that people think that the resources like that are absolutely without end. That's why and the government, the United States government has that policy, certainly as far as, um, and that perspective as far as spending is concerned. Um, they think they can just keep inflating the economy because they don't understand that there is a certain point where you can push that, but they keep acting like they can just spend what they want and they're perfectly okay because no one's going to challenge them. Um, uh, so if, as far as defense is concerned, uh, there are limits. And especially if our generation, for example, the millennials, uh, and if Gen Z takes after this trend, which I hope they don't, I hope they learn from um, the mistakes of history and they see, I hope they understand that if you have a socialist system that it requires more resources than is available and it ultimately, um, you can't pay for all the stuff you want. You can't effectively pay for all this, all this um, uh, federal welfare and state level welfare. And you, you can't have your cake and you eat it too. You can only have one or the other. You eat your cake or you don't eat your cake and you have your cake. You can't have it both ways. Um, so I, it's interesting that how it's almost like as China seems to and has more crony capitalist policies and industrializes more, the United States has these anti-economic policies that constrain businesses and kill its GDP. I kind of wonder that if we went to war in a couple of decades, what's going to happen? Well, with um, the with the current yeah. state, uh, I still <clears throat> think we we still have a fair shot of coming out on top between uh, uh, during a conflict between us and the People's Republic of China. Mm -hmm. uh, if it, it might be costly, but I think we'll we'll still win uh, because you know, I I've briefly glanced at the notes that I was sent, and there's just not a lot of data for me to build uh, a clear picture. It said that China has developed, I think it was on the order of 360, uh, what is it, battle line ships? Uh, just various battleships. Yeah, 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 yeah Rico, why don't you continue battle with force, that? Bat battle force ships, but yeah. uh, for all well, I know, so... those could be torpedo boats <laughs> by that definition. Yeah. Uh, There's a great um, table uh, I should have screenshotted it actually last night. I didn't think to do that. I couldn't copy it, but it's down at the end. Uh, would you be able to throw this up in the video if there was a image available? Yeah. Yeah, we can uh, do a screen share for that. Yeah, I'll, I'll just need the, the link. Yeah, okay, here. Uh, let me put it in the chat. Okay. And go to page... So that's the the link to uh, online PDF, and you okay. just want to go to page 34 of that. So the report breaks down where their fleet development is, and it is clear that uh, this is not going to be a global challenger to the United States soon. But in the event of conflict, it would be sufficient to keep us out of their waters for significant periods of time. So this. Uh, we could be looking at another Cold War scenario, basically, is what I'm yeah. looking at. Yeah, well, I, I do want to say, like, even in the uh, case of outright war, I can't ever imagine the United States alone invading mainland China. We would need to have 
all of Europe and India with us too, just because the population advantage is so lopsided in China's favor. Uh, I think Granted, Asian... as I was trying to say, uh, and I think I said this before, uh, the, the PLA is essentially a massive overglorified militia, in my opinion, uh, mainly stemming from the fact that like 90% of their training is centered around political indoctrination. What's your assessment of that, Mike or uh, Rico? <laughs> hey, can you cut that? I will. Hey, they'll, okay. they'll just they'll just be thinking I'm uh, thinking of uh, talking about GM Francis, so they won't know. <coughs> but uh, I have not read much about the Chinese army. I would not assume they're going to stay that way. Mm -hmm. And well, I mean, I would they, also they point would, out that any communist nation is heavily reliant on political propaganda, political brainwashing, if you will, to use Mao Zedong's direct term. Yeah, so the, the, the question kind of comes down to is like they've got this military power. Do they have um, do they yeah. have a lot of okay, finish? Rico. Well, I don't think it's right for us to think of China just as a communist nation. They've they're like pseudo capitalist authoritarians uh, like they're leaning. They're leaning on loyalty to the party. So in that sense, they are like communists where it's all about loyalty to the party, mm -hmm. uh, which is also, you know, similar to uh fascism and nazism where the entire society is based around loyalty to the party mm -hmm. but uh they definitely are not preaching anymore that egalitarian class warfare model they're leaning more on nationalism because uh this is i think what uh his name's red yard uh lane that's what if all his real name uh mm -hmm. he's made that public knowledge so uh one of the things Rudyard touched on in uh his can China become a superpower? Is it the next superpower, which I have seen in other places, is that essentially China's economic miracle, you know, the uh, annual like 6% economic growth mm -hmm. has been going on so long and it's unsustainable. And they're approaching the year where their workforce starts to shrink, mm -hmm. that they're trying to stoke up nationalism and reinvigorate party loyalty to kind of uh, – maintain their power when the economic growth contracts mm -hmm. because essentially their implicit promise since uh mao since the excesses of the maoist era were curved back uh i believe it was do, does the name dung ring a bell to you spelled d-e-n-j mm, no it doesn't no. okay well uh he was one of the chinese uh premieres after mao and i believe it was oh was that a what dang wasn't it dang uh, maybe what, yeah they yeah. introduced like a, a i don't i remember essentially him actually, an yes i do remember inner him. party constitution after mao because uh even the party realized the mao era was so crazy they couldn't do that again and uh yeah. right now it's just xi jinping is trying to dismantle that and build a nationalist uh cult of personality around him i saw one news article uh the party in a province in southern china was going through Christian churches and replacing Christ with Xi Jinping and Buddhist temples and replacing statues of Buddha with statues of Xi Jinping. So uh, that's like they're building and re-expanding the surveillance state and trying to stoke nationalism because uh, they're, they're essentially trying to reinvigorate sentiments of loyalty towards the nation because they can't keep up their implicit promise that the authoritarian system is the only way to prosperity. So uh, in that sense, I think in terms of like 
military advantages of communism versus capitalism. They're no longer really communists in practice. And, you know, just like when the Nazis invaded Russia, uh, nationalism was what people fought for. Like they fought to defend Mother Russia, not uh, Stalin. Yeah, it's or... Deng Xiaoping. Who is, uh, Deng Xiaoping, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Soviets did do that in the Second World War. They went from, and I believe it was Dmitry Sachikovich, he was a composer of the era. He mentioned that the Soviet propaganda shifted from, you know, it was this, it was a stoking people to like hate certain political groups and is very like the government was trying to keep you suppressed terrified mm -hmm. demoralized so you wouldn't rise up and then all of a sudden it shifted from that like oh we're going to build everybody up and talk about how great of a nation we're as to defend it because the soviet citizens thought initially that well the soviets are so terrible and we really despise them but we can't do anything about it initially it hoped that the germans would liberate them but then when they found out that the germans were just as bad and <laughs> if not yeah. worse in some areas um, and the Germans' idea of getting the local population to help them was, we're going to brutalize you into submission, just like the Soviets did. They thought, well, if we're torn between the two, let's just defend our homes. So that's really what it became. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily surprise me if China is trying this attitude of nationalism to try to stoke that. The problem I'm concerned with, and the, well, I think the, the CCP is having problems with, is that the population just isn't, more, isn't motivated like that as a whole. Um, they just, it's like, they just don't care a lot of, especially for example, the younger generation, I mean, they see through a lot of the, the CCP's propaganda. They, they have an, a level of access to the internet where they can get independent information. There are no fans of the CCP. They're not going to keep this. Oh, we're totally motivated by nationalism. All of a sudden they're like, why do we care what you think or want us to well, do? I, yeah. I will well, point out that lately uh, propaganda coming from the CCP isn't necessarily directed towards uh, their own people anymore. Now it's directed towards demoralizing like the United States, the Republic of China, uh, anybody yeah. who would interfere in that interfere with that conflict. That's why you see a dramatic drop in allies for Taiwan, which uh, I can't remember how many exactly they had uh, right after the Civil War. Mm -hmm. I, I think it was upwards of 50, but now it's like 17. Mm -hmm. And still going down. Yeah, because China's in a situation where on one side of it, it owns so many U.S. businesses and so many people. So many people are taking checks from China. And so many of our businesses have shops set up in mainland China because, hey, yeah, you got millions of workers, pay them cheaply. Why wouldn't I do that? And a totally, and a lost, I'm not going to say lost out here. That's not the right word. Um, and then anything goes, uh, uh, licentious market, I'm going to say, mm -hmm. in society. You know, why, why wouldn't I do that? Mm -hmm. So needless to say, uh, kind of the point we're kind of getting at too, it sounds like, is that um, because of China's propaganda is more focused on trying to demoralize Taiwan or in some capacity, because here's my concern too, is that I think what's going to happen with this president who's asleep at the wheel, who's not even totally coherent. Uh, I, I like Ben Shapiro's nickname for him, uh, for him <laughs> President Houseplant. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, he's not doing anything. He's just a figurehead for yeah. people or Kamala Harris. Yeah, Kamala, gonna... yeah this is how the uh, the White House works nowadays. You got you know, President Biden, 
Mm-hmm. And then you have Kamala Harris. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Uh, <laughs> I mean, effect and and Joe Biden's that. I mean, he's always been someone you could easily manipulate his whole political career, but now he's not. Yeah, your first hint when he can't when he can't even give a good speech when he has a teleprompter. When he has a teleprompter, yeah, he has that, and when he's also derailing what he's doing to make extremely unsettling, disgusting, creepy comments to underage minors in front of a camera. That too. That's That doesn't help. But my point I was going to make was that with this administration and the powers that be in the deep state, for example, I think what's going to happen is that they're trying, the CCP, I think what their strategy is going to be, we're going to deter the United States sufficiently to not get involved in Taiwan. We're going to take Taiwan and exert so much of our military to the point where we're going to take it, we're going to annex it like we've wanted to for the last several decades. And we're in a situation where we probably we don't have enough, the, the state doesn't want to, the they don't want to intervene already. And I think they're probably going to do what Russia did with the UK. It's like, we're going to wag our finger and you say, oh, you are bad. You're a bad boy. You better not do it again. And they, I don't think they're going to do anything, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, do not cross this red line, which I'm going to constantly shift back every time mm-hmm. you take a step. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's... I think that's what the U- the U.S. is going to do right now, um, certainly with this present administration. So I kind of wonder if China is going to be attacking, doing something during this administration because it would foil their plans if 45 got back into office in 2024 um, dramatically. That would I think that would set them back because he was like seems like the only person who's been hard on China for like I don't know Rico. What do you say like? When when was the last time we had a president that actually was hard on China and China actually backed down a little bit? Mm-hmm. I'd say uh, Eisenhower. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know anything uh, before the '90s as far as policy towards China besides uh, Nixon cooling relations, which was uh, kind of dumb. But yeah, that that that, that <laughs> backfired spectacularly. Yeah, to my knowledge, um, the. Uh, the Bushes, the Clintons, and uh, Obama were all pretty for the uh, the free trade, like uh, global economic liberalism that has enabled China and didn't really want to confront it. Mm-hmm. Although I, I do wonder, just exploring my thoughts here, if China might find it in their interest to kind of be calm uh, as long as there are less confrontational powers in office while they continue to build their military. Uh, so continue naval expansion and R&D while we still have the clear advantage and just avoid uh, confrontational moves because uh, that would help uh, sell the case in the U.S. and in Europe that they're not something to be concerned with. And then we'll all just be over here like – uh. Wow, why are those uh why are those crazy Japanese and Koreans always on about uh China expanding? And then I can see uh because obviously the first concern for any political system is generally going to be uh stabilizing its domestic situation. So mm-hmm. if growth has slowed and the party feels it's viewed unfavorably, it might be very much in their immediate interest to stoke confrontation with the United States. Say uh like the Spratly Islands and the Paracels, they can push claiming those and enforcing their exclusive economic zone as a point of national pride because uh you know going back to the century of shame 
that uh, the education system reminds them of. Uh, they, they, I think because of their long history, have a right to see themselves as especially deserving of a prominent place in the world. But the problem is for us is uh, the political party that wants to claim that special place in the world because they're very much against uh, all the ideals that we have in the Western world. So I can see it. I, I think it really depends on the economic situation. You know, if China is recovering well from COVID economically and has nothing to gain from stirring a confrontation with the U.S., uh -huh. uh, it would probably be be wise of them to act a little tame while they continue to build their Navy. Uh, and if it's less prosperous and people, you know, are unhappy, maybe it would be beneficial for them to stoke greater confrontations with their neighbors and with the U S to try and rally the nation around the cause of defending mother China. Yeah. One thing, one uh, point that I remember in that, in that, um, in your notes as well, was that what China was kind of proposing was doing was having, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was having a lot of, um, a lot of trucks with anti-ship ballistic missiles on it. So basically, you, it's almost. Oh it's, yeah, That's I almost pretty cool. Like, yeah, like you could just pop a truck with some missiles up on an island and sink any aircraft carrier in a thousand kilometers, like. It's it's, almost, it's essentially a giant screen around. Chinese waters 4,000 kilometers because uh, it points out later in the report that currently our aircraft carriers, the the flight complements they carry, mm -hmm. don't have the ability to really operate in that kind of range. So mm -hmm. it would put carriers out of service, and um, I assume you'd have to send in just surface vessels or submarines to try and clear out these missile platforms, these these mm -hmm. trucks. Yeah, I was yeah, just but... about to bring that up because, you know, it very rarely, if ever, does a does an aircraft carrier operate on its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd love. I to mean, see there's a fleet like... around them for a reason. Yeah, I'd love That's... to see if some kind of think tank has published like an in-depth war gaming scenario on. Have you read the uh, the book Ghost Fleet? No, tell me about it. Uh so it's kind of silly. It's like near future science fiction about a war between the United States and China. And mm -hmm. I think it's a little sensationalized, but it's really interesting just because it does make you think about how the U.S. can operate in a world where the the technological and economic advantage is no longer guaranteed to us. But essentially, uh, it's a near future where there's a economic crisis around the world because somebody bombed out Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and through the oil markets into like uh, turmoil. Mm -hmm. And China discovers oil reserves in the Marianas Trench. And so they uh, start a war with the U.S. to try and claim Guam and Hawaii as Chinese territories to secure energy independence from the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So uh, essentially the book is that in their opening salvo, the Chinese knock out our uh, satellite assets with a space laser and <laughs> yeah well so so this is like it it's a little sensationalist because i have a hard time believing china could send a space laser into space and nobody would know about it but i, I have, have a hard time believing israel has a space laser <laughs> i hope I like we all do <laughs> i like to call it a death star 
the sphere it, of it's fear. The greatest, it's the greatest Death Star of all time, believe me. Uh, believe me, I know. If we never build it, <laughs> I would. I love that, man. But, um, I mean, in space, I mean, it's it's a little James Bondy sounding, that particular thing. But I Oh, that's surprise. a little beyond James Bond. <laughs> well, we have, I mean, I will say this, though, on that particular note, was that we do have, like, a point laser defense technology we're developing right now that you can shoot a laser at a missile and it'll cause it to explode at long range. Um, and military tech, that's just what we know about military technology is 40 years in advance. Um ahead of what we publicly know it wouldn't surprise me and that's um, that's what we uh, uh then there's what we don't know coming out of uh, <clears throat> stargate uh <laughs> <laughs> we would only use those technologies to confront the common challenges of humanity not in our own national uh, wars we promised the asgard I mean, um, <laughs> that's what I would assume. Yeah, we, clearly, we, it's just we, a TV we, show. We, you. We, we we promised Thor, or we promised Michael Shanks with a head cold. Uh. <laughs> Can you imagine just um some uh some shady guy in the CIA who like overthrew twenty governments by the time he was like thirty during the Cold War? Here's about these alien beams. He's like, we're gonna use these against the Taliban, and uh, Colonel Carter says. But we promised Thor, and he's like, you think I give a shit? you promised Thor? <laughs> he gets his bleep word, Mike. He's fine. But Yes, um, I know, but it's surprising that he gets the first bleep and you don't. Yeah, I've, I've been re- I smoked a pipe before it came on, so I'm very reserved. But, um, but like what you're saying with the book, getting back to the book, too, kind of the, the narrative there. Uh, the laser they knocked out our our satellites yeah, in San yeah. Rico. So so they take uh the Hawaiian Islands and Guam and I presume Samoa. Not that I know of anything of value in Samoa besides like <laughs> pineapple trees. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think pineapples grow in bushes. Uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> it's just it, it's a very interesting book because uh he cites it all the way through like various news articles where he's been like reading about these technologies that either exist or have been like announced as plans by our government and the chinese government so everything is plausible it just seems a little fantastical the way he portrays it and a little, a little too jingoistic go lucky when they finally uh liberate hawaii from the chinese but it's it's a very good book just to give you insight into how war could change in the future and well, right well right one one um one thought kind of came to mind too when i was reading your notes was um you kind of look at like the like the conflict going on in israel right now where the um it was it's hamas and what's the other group operating there um i think you're thinking hezbollah and that's Hez- lebanon uh yeah so uh, hezbollah so they were shooting rockets in Israel, and they're sh- the what what one analyst pointed out was that so Israel has this iron uh, dome defense system, which is very sophisticated, but is extremely expensive. Versus, it's a lot more cost effective for them to just fire rockets into it, um, because it's more cost effective for them to do that, um, and then drain out Israel's reserves of munitions uh, for this system before they could be restocked. And then they, once it's drained out, they don't have that defense system anymore. In a similar capacity with uh, China and the United States, it's cheaper for them to have anti-ship ballistic missiles on trucks um, versus a carrier and its task force. Yeah, um, a truck takes a driver and maybe 
a crew of three to like man the weapon system and a ship takes millions of dollars at least uh yeah, and that's... a whole crew of tens and the, and the fuel the fuel and the well yeah. most the ships nowadays well oh okay i was about to stub my toe on a bad point but mm -hmm. uh, most of, of our the fleet is nuclear powered so mm. what i was just pointing out that most of our fleet is nuclear powered well i meant i oh uh, yeah not like in terms of, oh, I mean like jet fuel, for example, uh, um, is kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, specifically. Air airplanes aren't nuclear powered. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this like is actually munitions. something I noticed in terms of just China defending mm -hmm. its own claims to its near waters. Because uh, as I was reading, it did point out that they do not yet have a nuclear powered sub. Um, I really? forget which page. Sorry, they do have nuclear powered subs. It says that I think they were the type 75s. Um, they have ballistic missile submarines uh it says 10 by 2040 in this mm -hmm. uh pdf right now 2020 it says for their the gin class j-i-n mm -hmm. so they do have nuclear powered submarines but the report says that china has only announced plans to build a nuclear powered aircraft carrier mm -hmm. and has pushed those plans back publicly due to budgetary constraints However, I, I think in terms of output, uh, if China is only trying to keep us out of their near waters, they have a definite numbers advantage in that their stuff is only diesel powered, so it takes less time to build. Uh, yeah. You know, well, our also... nuclear powered ships take years and years to build, and they just put out this Type 3 aircraft carrier that they're building has similar displacement to our... Um, Gerald Ford classes. I read that in a, a news article comparing them on the, the the naval enthusiast blog. Yeah, and so they have similar displacement, but theirs builds much faster because I would assume they have lower safety standards uh, for their well, shipyards. And not to mention, you know, whatever their complement of aircraft and sailors are. Yeah, correct. yeah. Well, that's well, another interesting yeah, just, thing. Just there, um, just because the ship has a similar displacement doesn't necessarily mean it takes the same number of crew, same number. No, of but this uh, is the other payload. thing. In the the report, they say that the Type 03, which is being built right now, will incorporate electromagnetic launches. So the first domestically built aircraft carrier was the Shandong, and uh, that is the ski jump, and that's what oh. most nations with aircraft carriers use. Mm -hmm. And our aircraft carriers all use uh, catapults. And once they have a catapult launching ship, uh, catapult launching systems allow the aircraft carrier to employ fighters with much heavier uh, loads and weights. Yeah. So in that sense, uh, presumably they'll have to stay closer to port and resupply more often because they don't have a nuclear generator to power the ship mm -hmm. and they're using diesel. But it sounds like in terms of complement, they could theoretically be equal. And so then I was trying to look up the F-22 and the uh, China's J-15. Um, I don't know if you guys have read much about the F-35. Have you seen anything in the news about carrier variants for it? The only the extent of my knowledge is with the F-35 has been it's it's God the dubious. It's there's a lot of problems with them still. No, I didn't, that's what I I didn't even know there was a carrier variant. Yeah, see, so I'm not sure if we even have that yet. Uh, so from what I gather, our most recent um, 
this is something <laughs> that needs to be fact-checked because I read this article like while I was traveling months ago on my phone and forgot to save it. But that um, – look up – I'll see if I can find the uh, comparison here. I believe it was the F-22 F Raptor mm-hmm. uh, versus the J – Chengdu J20 versus F22. I believe that's the comparison I was looking for. And oh, there's one from the South Morning China Post. Uh, that's not biased at all. <laughs> yeah. So let me well, drop this link in the chat. I believe this is the one I was reading. Okay. Well, we'll yeah, I'll include it in the show notes, but we are starting to run low on time. Yeah. Okay. One, yeah. One little point I wanted to make, kind of too. Um, from a strategic standpoint, you also have to factor in, um, obviously, regardless of kind of military capabilities, what you also have to factor in this whole situation, too, is we can produce, like, we can spend enormous amounts of money on high-quality military equipment, for example, but the question is, is that if it takes us longer to produce them and, and China can inflict sufficient casualties on them, uh, what you're going to start dealing with is kind of what, and they can produce more of their cheap or inexpensive or frankly uh, inferior quality stuff. That's just good enough that they can produce in mass. It's kind of yeah. that. That's granted. This is all resting on one really big if. Well, well, my whole <laughs> if they manage to get close enough to our carrier group, if they manage right. to lob a missile. Well, well, the it. the the if well, is it's not the if it's the the ballistic missile trucks. Uh, that's a definite because the the report says that but um, yeah they, they still have the to land a shot past the, they still have to land a shot past the carrier group well to finish to kind of finish my point here too um you're, what you're kind of, we're not we're not talking about just the carrier group kind of being off in hawaii or closer to base is going to be in a situation where if you're dealing with a war over taiwan something like that right you're going to have the u.s is going to be dealing with much larger supply lines right versus china can get away with lower quality stuff because they have bases in the area they've got repair facilities in the area they have uh, stuff that can refuel a lot more rearm a lot more easily than our groups can for example like the only situation that i think we'd have a sufficient advantage is if our stuff just completely demolished their equipment and decisively dealt decisive blows to them over and over again Um, because china just needs to deter us enough to stay out of the waters number one but if you have an armed conflict it's going to be my concern is it being a lot like what happened in the second world war where germany had very good quality tanks not the best in the war because that was the soviet union but for a lot of the war they had a lot of good equipment and very very good infantry fighting forces but they couldn't sustain it and they didn't have the industrial capability to keep up with the soviet union for example but also united states so we could produce tanks we could why produce you know you could produce your heavy tanks but you can produce four five six ten shermans for every one panzer four every tiger tank and that's yeah. ultimately more effective long term for the war effort than just having one tank yeah it's great but it breaks apart all the time so my whole concern is also that industrial side of it as well yeah that's one of the things they point out in the report is uh that a lot of the fleet growth in china has been that uh like they're not matching us on the really sexy assets like aircraft carriers and submarines yet but they're just pumping out uh masses of missile frigates that might not displace as much as ours but there's just more of them so you know you take out one of our ships, 
presumably that's uh, a lot more missiles you're taking out of the fight than if you take out a Chinese frigate because yeah. they are displacing theirs and not investing as much per ship. Yeah, it's like so it, it's even use a StarCraft example. It's almost like the Zerg versus the Protoss. It's like I can build like yeah. 10, 20 Zerglings for every one of your units. And to make this hey. final point too, yeah, it's and this is the, the final point too, is um, you have, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Soviets' uh, Katusha trucks um in world war ii which were just basically it's a truck like a you know a truck from the 1920s or 30s it's just put some rocket launchers on it that can just spread out everywhere obviously it's more sophisticated now but it's like basically an armored truck with a, a, a missile on it and then you back that up can, can you imagine how cheap that is for to produce in mass yeah i can imagine uh just to illustrate the the supply line difficulty the distance from uh Hawaii to Taiwan is 8,197 kilometers, and the distance from Hainan, which is their main naval base, to Taiwan is 1,226 kilometers. So that kind of just, like, puts in perspective. Uh, it does point out in the uh, discussion portion, which starts around page 39, talking about what has been reported they point out that one of the strengths of the United States in a possible conflict regarding Taiwan is that we expect to be able to rely and lean on allies like uh, Japan and Australia. So I mean, like Japan, there's a massive naval base in Yokohama that is much closer to Taiwan than, you know, Hawaii is that presumably we could lean on mm -hmm. unless China can pressure Taiwan. I mean, uh, Japan into be, uh, being uninvolved it's certainly a possibility but yeah we should probably wrap this up because i think we're actually in overtime now so uh, that was a good discussion very good um and banks if you don't mind i actually have a quote lined up if you're good because i didn't ah <laughs> uh, good now just sort of you know change you know, change topics like some inexperienced driver driving trying to drive an Aston Martin and grinding the hell out of it. Uh, Do you know from experience? I will neither confirm nor deny. Uh, but no, it's, it's this devotion to the Catholic Church and is especially highlighted for the month of June. It's called uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And the main story behind it comes from a uh, a saint names uh, i'm blanking on the name let me uh i have the article pulled up on church militant that's uh saint it was here uh saint margaret mary alacoque please do not make a joke out of that uh but basically uh, one thing he said, and I think a lot of this could apply to our world today. Uh, he said to her, Behold the heart that has so loved men that it has spared nothing, even to exhausting and consuming itself in order to testify to its love. And in return, I received from the greater part only ingratitude by their irreverence and sacrilege and by the coldness and contempt they have for me in this sacrament of love. But what I feel most keenly 
is that it is hearts which are consecrate, consecrated to me and treat me thus. And uh, it kind of rem also reminds me of uh, our, our Lady of Fatima famously said to the three children that Russia will, you know, if Russia is not converted and the world does not return to God, then Russia will spread her errors throughout the world. And I think we're seeing also a, su a succession to that through the People's, of Re People's Republic of China, which I, I know is kind of like a duh point, but... Uh, but anyway, yeah, Rico, I, I think you're gonna you can see my point. Yeah. Least. What's the uh What's the runtime on this meeting? Not the recording session, just the meeting itself. Now. Well, I started the meeting about 20 minutes before we started recording, and we're running at 1:45. <laughs> Woo! For recording? Uh, no, I started about 20 minutes. Uh, I started oh, okay, recording yeah. about 20 minutes after yeah, we, I. And we edit stuff down too, so. But yeah, we had a great discussion. Uh, thanks for coming on, Rico. Okay. It was a lot of fun having you on. Um, never talked about this topic before. I'll definitely have you on sometime again, please. And um, uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts. And um, I hope you have a very fantastic evening, sir. All right. Hey, uh, folks, remember, my name is Rico McNamara. Follow me on Instagram, YouTube. Remember to hit the subscription bell and like and subscribe. <laughs> you don't have any of those, do you? Yeah, not under the name Rico McNamara. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you all so much for watching. Be sure, to, uh, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, the whole shebang. Uh, hey, Rico, I have one question for you. Yeah. Do you think China has Ligma? What? I think Lig they have Bofa. Oh! <laughs> anyway... <laughs> We are the Tangent Kings. We love you guys. Pax at Bonum! Hey, folks, if you like our podcast, be sure to check us out on Facebook. And also check us out on our podcast platforms, namely Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, and others you can also find on Anchor. God bless.